women's workforce participation is at its highest in the last four years. And it is the entire mystery falls into place because I have been interviewing women in Kolkata. I've been speaking to women in Jaipur. I've been speaking to Anganwadi workers. I've just kind of, and it's very easy to understand that there is severe economic distress in this country. So every family has an idea in its head that I need so much to survive. And what happens is that when there is economic distress and the economy isn't growing the way it should, then women and the elderly are pushed back into the workforce. So it's not good news. Women are coming back to work, but they're coming back at horrible salaries. What we just heard from Namita Bandare sounds pretty ominous, I have to say. Basically that we are seeing an increase, but it is definitely an ill omen. It is not a good thing that we're seeing this type of increase. And that is how we're going to start from looking at season two. A lot has happened since we first started for season one. The pandemic happened. We all went into our homes and many people went on the move. We are in a much different place, aren't we, Aditi, than season one? I mean, if you mean literally you're in the U.S., I'm in India, we're recording in (laughs) studios 6,000 miles apart from each other. Yes, we're in different places. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think the pandemic really impacted women and the workforce. And this upcoming season, we understand that we are in a much more different place A lot of things look increasingly grim, but we are hoping to look at it with a bit of hope. Aditi, what are you excited to to look at and talk about in season two? Okay, so to be honest, you know, when she said like, oh my God, the numbers increased. I was like, yay! And then she's like, by 4%. I was like, (laughs) damn! And then she was like, no, not out of empowerment, but out of desperation. And I was like, oh... So lesson number one, do not celebrate too soon. You know, I think that what I love and what I'm really excited about in this season is that after the first season, we got an incredible number of emails from lots of people who had heard the show. And a lot of it, you know, so much, so much of it was so deeply personal. People telling, you know, women telling their stories about how they got to the place that they got to in their professional lives. And so much of it has included personal conflict. So Mm. much of it has included the stories and the journeys we have within ourselves as a woman in a society that is not geared to nurture womanhood and participation in the workplace at the same time. Mm. And I think the most exciting thing to me about this season is how, you know, you decided, Christina, this was all your idea to zone in on the everyday idea of being a woman, right? Whether it's the, the question of choice, whether it's how you negotiate, whether it's how you network, whether it's how you form, you know, mentorships. I think that it's about now, okay, if the ship has sank and we're at the bottom of the ocean, let's see how many people we can bring oxygen masks to. I love I think, that. Yeah, just like let's reduce the impact of the sinking and still find a way to move forward. Tell me why you sort of decided that women helping women was going to be this season's theme. Well, I love what you just said, Aditi. Girl, you're too kind. Huh? You better stop it. No, it's true. I love what you really said in that in each place there's something that we can identify with. And I think 
when we look at this whole problem of women dropping out of the workforce, it can seem so big. You know, it can seem so huge when we talk about a number like 9% of women are in the workforce. That's so, it can cause despair, I think, in many ways. But I do think at our own individual level, when we look inside, there are things that we can each do. And I think that's through helping one another out. I think that if we each sweep our corner of the world, that adds up. So I think that is something that we can look at. We can wait and bemoan what the government and the patriarchy and the whole system must change. And that needs to happen. But in the interim, there are things that we can do. And I really believe it is by women helping other women in small ways and big ways every day. And when you link that together, then that becomes something big. And who better to situate us in this entire thing than my personal hero and like my nerdy professional crush than Namita Bandare. Namita Bhandari is an award-winning journalist with nearly 30 years of reporting experience. In 2013, she was appointed India's first gender editor for Mint newspaper. She frequently writes on gender issues confronting India and has a particular interest in female workforce participation. She currently writes a fortnightly column on gender for the Hindustan Times and also writes for Mint, India Spend and Foreign Policy. Namita Bhandari, we are so excited to have you help us kick off season two of Women in Labor because you are also, as you know, much of the inspiration behind why we thought it was an important thing to have these conversations around women in the workforce. So we are so pleased to have you with us today. What have you been working on currently? What are you doing with India Spend right now? Um, so not just India Spend, but also Hindustan Times and wherever else I work. I mean, women and workforce participation has been as you might know, an old obsession. I mean, it's 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 unhealthy because the old story was just so gripping. You know, the fact that mm. women were dropping out of the workforce in droves. I mean, if you look at the numbers, here's a f- number for you. 46 million women fell off the workforce between 2004 and 2019, right? 46 wow. million. They just fell off. And there is whole ocean of literature that goes into why women were falling off the labor force because fertility rate was down, educational gaps were being bridged and women were studying much more. You know, the economy was doing well. So why were women dropping out? So there were many reasons, patriarchy, you know, the fact that women were working anyway, but they were not getting paid for it. We didn't call it, we called it housework, which was a Mm. noble thing that women were supposed to embrace as mothers and sisters and daughters. I'm not being modest, but when I started in 2017, people were shocked when I told them that women are falling off the workforce. They couldn't believe it. They said, no, but we see women pilots, we see women Uber, whatever, you know, we see women everywhere, but actually they weren't. They were falling off. Then came the pandemic. And I think Mm. what has happened, and I I was just looking at the latest government data, which came out just last 10 days ago in June, called the PLFS. This is a little acronym for the Periodic Labor Force Survey, which the government does. And the government data is telling us that women's workforce participation is at its highest in the last four years. 
the entire mystery falls into place because I have been interviewing women in Kolkata. I've been speaking to women in Jaipur. I've been speaking to Anganwadi workers. I've just kind of, and it's very easy to understand that there is severe economic distress in this country. So every family has an idea in its head that I need so much to survive. I have to feed my children. I have to send them to school. I need basic rations. And what happens is that when there is economic distress and the economy isn't growing the way it should, then women and the elderly are pushed back into the workforce. So it's not good news. Women are coming back to work, but they're coming back at horrible salaries. I mean, I spoke to this one woman who used to work in a shop in Bada Bazaar in Calcutta, where she had a salary of 9,000 before the pandemic. And she says, now the shopkeeper says, yeah, I can give you your job back, but I can't pay you more than three and a half thousand. And he knows that there are one dozen people waiting to grab that job at three and a half thousand if she doesn't take it. And her explanation is, she says, he's also suffered. His business has also hit. He can't afford to pay me 9,000. So it's not just exploitation. It's also the fact that everybody is hurting in this economy. You know, it's like I was talking to uh, Himanshu, who's a professor at uh, JNU, done a lot of work on poverty and economics. He said to me, he said, unemployment is a luxury that very few people can afford. If you're getting 1,000 rupees, 3,000 rupees, something, you know, you just go and you just take it, you grab it. I can't believe I am actually horrified at the increasing percentage of women in the workforce. I did, that, this was not the feeling I was expecting to have. Yes. Did you imagine that we would be mourning this fact? We, Wait, we should have been celebrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At just one third the salary level, basically. Yes, the return. yes. Also, PLFS data, if you really dissect it, and I'm not really a statistics person, but if you look at it, the greatest increase has been in rural workforce. You know, animal husbandry in India is entirely run by women. So it is, that labor is being counted. Uh, sowing the, you know, rice in uh, fields. So the greatest spike has been in rural India, in the informal sector. Okay. So this is not good news at all. One of the things that was fascinating that we talked about in season one was that some of our most educated women in urban areas who were most likely to have great opportunities to participate were also dropping out of the workforce. Now, what has happened to this section of society in the pandemic? There isn't detailed details. As I said, the spike has been in rural India. Women's mm. rural workforce participation is what is up. Everything else is static. It's more or less. So if you look at urban female, it was 23.3. This is PLFS, okay? So you can take it, you know, whatever. And for 2020-2021, the latest findings is 23.2. So more or less the same. So it's rural female where the big spike has happened from 33 to 36.5. Mm. So for everybody else, it's pretty much, I'm imagining business as usual, I mean, I'm hearing mixed stories. Some women hate it and they hated working from home because they said working from home is more like living at work. You know, you're never yeah. off. Your boss calls you all the time. You're on call. Your kids are screaming in the background. So you can't even run away and say, well, I've got to go to office now. You know, you handle it. 
in the beginning during the lockdown when when all you know four hours notice and suddenly your domestic helpers could not come in to work so men did chip in you know there is evidence that men actually <laughs> chipped in in the beginning you know they help were helping you know oh, they yeah, were cutting the sabzi it was, it was kind of cute at that point in time we're like oh my god yeah. my uniquely yeah. beautiful husband has washed his own underwear today everyone in instagram exactly <laughs> but by december 2020 they had gone back to in fact it was worse than pre pandemic the men had just really? kind of thrown their hands up and said ab bahut ho gaya we've done a bit now we are out out and about so it was back so gender norms are actually pretty tricky i mean they will budge if push comes to shove they will budge but when it comes to it i mean it, there are some norms that are pretty unshakable and i don't know what it will take to get men into the kitchen more permanently it was like everybody had a hot moment of oh i'm going to try sweeping once yeah yeah it was cool <laughs> and unique in that moment yeah and you could post pictures little selfies in on yeah. instagram and yeah. everybody would say oh how cute he's doing the dusting <laughs> he's making the bed <laughs> And so you know, the, I have a two-prong question. One is that oh, because earlier we also discussed how the data collection for this very uh, statistic for the PLFS was you know suspect because it was always well, lots of women who didn't claim to work who'd be working but say I don't work. And so now, could we just say that oh, well, actually the rise in rural women percentage workforce participation is because a lot more of them now admit that they work. is that like i mean or they want to just put out the message that they're available for more work you know for instance cmi which is a private research company the center for monitoring of indian economy in april they said women's workforce participation is down to 9% so yeah <laughs> yeah and that most women were not even looking for jobs they were so disheartened that they weren't looking for jobs so i i spoke to mahesh vyas i interviewed him and i said how do you explain this you know 32.5 versus 9 so he says well it's also how you define it so when the government goes out asking a question and saying are you working i mean they basically say have you worked at all even for one hour in the last 7 days oh yeah you know so even one hour is counted as work so if you said that yes i washed the buffalo you're working whereas cmi says that are you employed today are you working today so i don't have an answer as to why there is this huge divergence between these two data sources but if you look at government data and most economists do you look at plfs but the other thing that one should remember is that plfs actually matches an earlier trend because earlier when the country was going through economic distress between 1999 and 2005 you know the one which cost the vajpayee government the election at that time also workforce participation went up in fact it it brought in 60 million workers into the economy so if you go by trends and just forget about the particularities of numbers you see that yes this trend matches a narrative and then you look at other figures you say that employment unemployment is down because people want any work consumption is down people aren't consuming you know lpg gas cylinder now costs 1003 rupees so all the women who got the free lpg cylinder now find that they can't afford to fill it so they're back to cooking on firewood it's interesting to hear you discuss the different numbers because i had also been hearing a lot about that 9% figure you know which was so devastating to hear 
after we started season one at 20% or 22% or something like that. And that was just like ripping all of our hearts out. I was like, wait, you're telling me that the podcast didn't (laughs) drastically improve the lot of women in India? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And when we were thinking about, okay, what do we talk about in season two if we are down to... 9%. You know, (laughs) we are down to 9%. And season one was really about why is it happening and identifying that it's happening. And I think in season two, we're going to look at some of the questions around, okay, what are things that we as individuals can do about it? And I'm also curious, Namita, because we're starting season two, what would you want to look at for the upcoming season? What are the questions that you are most interested in around this issue? So my first and foremost question is, why isn't women's workforce participation a political issue? In fact, 9%, 27%, whatever figure we're at, it's never an issue. So when an Agni Peet uh, program is announced, it's all men who are protesting, right? The women never protest. The politicians will say, I will give you free gold or 5,000 rupees per child, Kanya Shri program, this program, that program. Nobody says we will give you jobs. And I really feel that there needs to be an effort by women's groups, self-help groups. You know, we have enough organizations. There is, it's not that we don't have the capability. There's enough capacity building down to the village level. But it needs to become a political issue. Women need to be asking politicians, why are we not participating? We don't participate in parliament. We don't participate in the judiciary. We don't participate in the workplace. Our streets are are shut out for us. And we're not safe at home. I would like to see this in the next election. I want to see a robust government policy. What are you going to do? So, you know, for instance, skilling programs. I mean, skilling programs by governments and by NGOs, I'm sorry to say, are so lacking in imagination. You know, if you look at skilling programs for women, I promise you, 80% or more will come under papad making, pickle making, embroidery. Why are you not going to rural areas and say, I will teach you coding, I will teach you project management? Why not? You've got to equip women with skills for a modern workplace. It's not just women working, it's what women are doing, the quality of the work they're doing. You know, we've spoken enough about women falling off the labor force. This conversation has to take a new trend and we have to start looking at the latest figures and say, well, okay, the women's workforce participation is up according to the government. Very good, we're very happy. What is the work that women are doing? Just examine that. Is there a history of, you know, women banding together to get something, you know, and something as significant as this. Is there a history in the Indian context, culturally, socially? Of course, women have banded together for many issues that they see as important. So rape, I mean, you know, you would remember the nearby, forget about going back to Mathura and to all those protests, but Shaheen Bagh was led by women. So when farmers protest, how many women participated? Anganwadi workers are only women. So when women want to organize and when they want to protest, they do. But workforce participation is a complicated beast because very often, and there is no polite way of saying this, very often the women themselves will tell you that quitting their jobs was the best thing, that they are ki zindagi ji sakte. 
they see it because you know they are already so burdened with work they are working on average 5 hours this is again government data time you survey tells you that women spend 5 hours a day on unpaid care work cooking cleaning washing caring for the children caring for the elderly caring for the sick in the summer walking sometimes you know for 2 hours 3 hours just to get a bucket of water there is no leisure for women we haven't yet reached that point in our evolution where women say that no i want to work because you know it makes me feel good because i've got a good job i've got great you know satisfaction i have work it gives me a sense of identity if a woman is working for 3000 4000 rupees a month why will she want and receive being treated like shit why will she even want to go to work so she says very good my husband's earning enough i don't need to work so it is very complex and very layered you know the right thing to say is yes we want to be all women must go out and work and we must enable it but there needs to be an enabling ecosystem and we need to first ask the question that what is the kind of work women are doing are they just sowing the fields which they don't own and looking after the buffaloes which they don't own <laughs> so they're just working literally as slave labor either for them their own families or for wages yeah actually i think this is what's crazy is that so this is not an increase in labor force participation born out of empowerment it is an increase in labor force participation born out of helplessness yeah desperation yeah so to pivot to a positive question <laughs> yes thank you well it's positive that women are are fighting april this year there was a massive victory because there were these tribal women from gujarat so this one woman had worked as an anganwadi worker for 1500 rupees salary or whatever it was a salary for 14 years then she retired so she calculated that her gratuity owed to her for 14 years would be 14000 something so she said please give me they said no so then they fought 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 and she ended up in the supreme court and the supreme court because you know anganwadi workers asha workers who have been so pivotal to india's fight against covid hmm. are not workers they're volunteers they get an honorarium so you know they don't come under any government scheme they have no job protection and 800 women anganwadi workers got sacked for protesting in march you know so these tribal women fought in supreme court and got a judgment where the judges have said no they are workers they are entitled to gratuity so again a huge victory you know we don't sorry but i don't know why media doesn't cover these stories i guess because we're so busy <laughs> fire fighting on all these other fronts but these are the little victories that have taken place in the last 2 3 years and we shouldn't ignore them even actually recently there was an anganwadi protest uh, anganwadi workers protest they did not want to because there was a government mandated app you know they were being told to download and to enter their data or something like that and they were like no and i was like girl like you don't expect you know a, a fight for privacy to be happening at the anganwadi level but i thought that was incredible i was just like wow i guess when men you know need jobs they protest burn stuff down when women want what they've already worked for yeah they don't you're right you're right these are just quiet but mm. major victories big big victories 
I was just thinking about like when we started doing this second season like I was like okay what like like now I mean I heard that 9% statistic and I was like wow the ship has sank like <laughs> now it's not even about like oh my god someone plugged the holes no the ship is down it's we're at the bottom of the sea <laughs> but it's time to work into changing that ship into a submarine is that if we're going to crawl on the bottom of the floor you know let's breathe while doing it and is it foolish to hope that no hope is never foolish aditi ever if we don't have hope what do we have and i think that you know if you just move away from the workplace if you just look back at 2012 and the protests against the delhi gang rape and you look at 2012 to 2022 in 10 years despite 3 years of this pandemic and which we're still going through so much has changed you know so much is being called out social media is calling out i mean so i'm not saying social media is great because it's also very divisive very polarizing and frankly very debilitating as well but so much is being called out you know what could be said so blithely few years ago cannot it's being challenged whether it's coming from a politician whether it's coming from a judge whether it's coming from a judgment it is women are calling it out and i think that a generation a new generation of young women you know whether they're living it's also a very aspirational generation i think that aspiration pandemic did not kill the aspiration you know the reality of the pandemic we have to see on the ground you know it may have forced women back into low paying jobs it may have pulled girls out of school we know that it has led to a spike in child marriage because when you pull a girl out of school she's not just sitting at home doing nothing she's then getting married you know because you want one less mouth to feed on that side they want one more person to come and labor on the farms or whatever and so girls are married off and we know that there has been a spike in child marriage so all of this is the bad news but i think the the good news is that aspiration and i talk to women all the time women are still dreaming of becoming pilots and teachers and breaking ceilings and you know you have these sport my god sport is where so much change is happening these young girls going in you know in their shorts to play in academies in haryana which is like the most patriarchal state in india i mean it is something it is something beautiful to behold and now everybody wants to be a mithali raj and you know there's so many role models we never had them we're seeing at the news we digest the news we consume it's bringing girls from everywhere you know greta thud but you know she a lot of people find her polarizing but a lot of people malala you know they, these are global figures young girls who are global figures hmm. it wasn't yeah. possible when we were younger and what is one thing that we can each do to help make change in our own ways on this issue i know in season 1 you said get boys into the kitchen which i think is a very wise one Part of what we're looking at in season 2 is I think a lot of individual change we can make and do is by women helping other women and help create other opportunities and just building networks women and people from the queer community and and other folks who are not let's just call it non-dominant male groups. So maybe with that in mind, you know, what is one thing we can do in our daily lives especially keeping in mind that how we can be helpful to others and and create opportunities for others. I think you've answered that question. I think your suggestions are wonderful. I mean, this idea of a sisterhood which actually has really taken root during India's Me Too movement. And we saw that unfortunately India's Me Too movement did not get the same level of justice for victims as happened in the US. 
where, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and what's her name, Ghislaine Maxwell has just got, mm. you know, 30 years in jail and will be spending probably the rest of her life in jail. We didn't have that. The only victory we saw in India was in the M.G. Akbar Priya Ramani case. But that's one thing I learned. And Priya Ramani is a good friend of mine, was the importance of organizing. Because, you know, we were there in court every time there was a hearing, simply because of solidarity. And I think this sisterhood has taken root. So I think we we are all still in touch with each other on social media, on whatever. So, you know, women are now much more, you know, hey, it's no longer a whisper network. It's much more, mm. you know, where we're there for each other. And But I would still go back to season one. And I'm sorry, some things just don't change. Get your mm. sons into the kitchen. I remember the first time I was sitting with a judge and I told him about unpaid care work. And he said, what's that? And I explained to him cooking, cleaning, blah, blah, blah. And he said, do you expect women to be paid for it? I said, no, you're missing the point. The point is not that women should be paid a salary for it. The point is that you should recognize it. Not only because it is contributing to the household income, but because it is contributing to the national income. I think to the silver lining with the pandemic was that we are now talking about it. We don't have to explain to each other or to men or to anybody what is unpaid care work. We don't have to tell people that it's unfair that women bear the disproportionate burden of it, that this brother will not pick up his thali after he eats what his mother has cooked and what his sister has served, and he will not even pick up his thali to wash it. So we are talking about it. Girls are now saying, why? Why should I be the only one? Why can't he do his work? Why can't he wash his clothes? Girls are saying this in small towns and in villages. We've become a society where we're just shouting at each other, We are so deeply polarized and we're so deeply depressed because, you know, it is very gloomy when you think about it. And so therefore, it becomes very easy to forget about the fact that these things matter too. We can't give up the fight. Oh, time to be alive. Miss, you know, I, yeah. I, sorry, one last interjection from, you know, because Kamal Hassan ran for election somewhere in, somewhere, for some kind of election, on the mantle that he will pay women for housework. That happened, gee, a couple of months ago? I don't know. I'm no, no, it happened about a couple of years ago. Up had also had that as a poll promise. They said, we'll give 1,000 rupees a month to women. I don't know whether they actually said for housework or whether they just said we'll give 1,000 rupees a month for women. I'm against that. I'm totally against it because, you know, you will give 1,000 rupees a month for housework and then what does that do? It legitimizes it. No? Then the men will say, why should we do anything at all? Because you're getting paid for it. Government gives you money. So I, I think that's just a bad idea. I think we have to recognize that unpaid care work does not mean that women are saying, I want a wage, I want a salary. It means that I want you to recognize that my work, so we should stop saying, I don't work, G, because when you're actually sitting and cooking the dinner and making the beds and doing the jhadu pocha and washing the clothes and everything, if you're affluent, you're running the washing machine, whatever it is, it's work. You're just not paid for it, but it is work. So we need to recognize that. And I think we do. Very well said. Thank you so much, Namita. And you've really framed where we are and helped us have a reality check, which is always important to do and not always bright and optimistic, but it gives us a very real picture. 
For more information on the podcast, visit womeninlabor.com or search for Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Women in Labor is made by executive producers Christina McGillivray, Aditi Mittal, and Laura Quinn. Head of production, May Thomas. Senior producer, Divita Oberoi. Chief of staff, Priya Kapoor. Marketing director, Manya Sachdeva. American Center team, Joy King, Horva Jassy, Minjon Bay, and Radhika Sangar. Junior producer, Niket Nake. Junior editor, Yash Hirve. Mix engineer, Kartik Kulkarni. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State.